Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Join Hoda Kotb for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now. Thank you so much called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Dot com and definitely check out those shows as well. I hope you'll all check out the all-new Zibby Mag, Z-I-B-B-Y-M-A-G, the literary lifestyle destination with essays, book news, a lit lifestyle feature, and even some classes. Check it out, zibbymag.com. Amber Tamblin is the author of Listening in the Dark, Women Reclaiming the Power of Intuition. This is one of the episodes hosted by one of my three amazing guest hosts this fall, Alison Pataki, who is herself a best-selling author. Amber Tamlin, who has been on this podcast before, is now back, and she is an author, actor, and director. She's been nominated for an Emmy, Golden Globe, and Independent Spirit Award for her work in television and film. She's the author of three books of poetry, including the critically acclaimed bestseller, Dark Sparkler, and a novel, Any Man, as well as a contributing writer for the New York Times. She lives in New York. Hello, everybody. Welcome. I am Allison Pataki, and I am here today with Amber Tamblin, award-winning author, actor, activist, director. The list goes on. And Amber, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. 
Oh, it's such a pleasure. So Amber is here to discuss her fabulous new book, Listening in the Dark, Women Reclaiming the Power of Intuition. Amber, can you please tell us how and why you wrote this important book? Oof, where to begin? I've been thinking about this book for a long time, the subject matter of it, and thinking about what intuition means and not just the meaning of it, but the practical application of it in our everyday lives as women, I think we assume that the intuition is sort of this like woo-woo, mysticism, witchy thing, and it's not really attainable. And that's because of, as I explore in the book, generations upon generations, literally hundreds of years of oppression towards the subject with women believing that rational thought is the only kind of important intellect and that emotional thought and and intuitive thought has nothing to do with that when the truth is is that it's extremely valuable and useful as a practical tool. So Listening in the Dark is an anthology that I put together of women across industries, women from Amy Poehler to essayist Samantha Irby to the New Yorker's Gia Tolentino, Congresswoman Ayanna Pressley, Huma Abedin. We got them all. My mom, my mom's yes, in the book. your mom. She is. And all these women write about their relationship with their intuitive process. Now, this isn't does this doesn't mean like that they are talking about how great they are and how they are, you know, have their intuition nailed down and they've got it all figured out and they shoot from the hip. If anything, it's more of an examination at looking how the, how they be how they came into the process, how they learned to harness it and and use it through trial and error. And then I have a bunch of essays throughout the book that sort of give context to the overall themes that are talked about. And they also share things that are personal to me with my own experience with intuition, including, you know, childhood trauma, growing up as a child actress in Hollywood and sort of growing up as, a, as an object and in a progressive industry in that way, all the way to, you know, our dreams, what they can mean as far as intuition, what they can tell us about our conscious waking life. And then there is like a deep dive into the oppression, the history of, of women's oppressed intuition. So there's a lot going on. And then there the book is. ends with a, a practical guide that sort of walks you through how to find your own. Exactly. There, there is so much going on and so many different voices here. How did you put together this powerhouse list? As you said, you have actors, you have politicians, you have emergency room doctors, poets. So how did you compile this lineup? And how was it working as an editor, but also a writer? So I think for me, putting this book together was a real labor of love. As I mentioned, that there had been so many books out there, I've written some of them, that are about women's movements and equality and rage and feminism and all of these different sort of pieces of, to me, a larger systemic problem of the puzzle which is our othering as women from our intuitive process, from our unique understanding of what our body and our gut and our mind combined tells us and the ability to actually listen to that. So to me, I thought the best way to translate that and to really reach readers was to have a a diverse body of writers and contributors, people with very, very different backgrounds, different socioeconomical backgrounds, different races, ethnicities, and to have this feel like it was a fully formed idea about all the different ways in which intuition manifests. So 
I knew many of the people who were in the book, but then there were several other ones like Jessica Valenti, who's a brilliant feminist writer who I reached out to and connected with. And they were, you know, she was extremely excited to be a part of it, as was sort of everyone else. And that's sort of where it came about was this idea of having a chorus of voices speaking about this, this very, very important topic, which feels so timely right now in this culture. Yeah. Did you get everyone you wanted? That's a great question. Could have been a thousand pages, right? <laughs> you could have had probably. Honestly, at one point, my editor, Laura, was like, we have to stop asking you. Because <laughs> everyone's um, saying yes to you. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, some people who I would have loved to have in this book would have been probably like Ann Carson, Mary Beard. There were a few, but then it's like you start to go into this. Beyonce. Yeah. Can she like be in everything that I you do? You talk about the Beyonce chakra, which we'll get to in a minute. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so then that's the, your sequel. You'll have all those women when, when the sequel comes out, right? Yes. Yes. I'll have all of those women when the sequel comes out. We'll <laughs> see. Maybe there'll be like a whole other book about the same subject. Awesome. So you talk about how really from the age of, you know, girlhood, childhood, and you talk about yourself specifically, but a lot of your writers also touch on this. We are sort of conditioned as young girls, not only to lean toward rational thought, but also just to cut ties with our intuition because we want to be polite or we want to sort of fit into the expectations that others or that, you know, society might have for us. And so then there's this severing that sort of has to happen with that inner voice. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, how that sort of played out for you and some of your other writers and just sort of how as women, we can sort of unravel that conditioning that's going on? That's a great question. You know, it's such an interesting experience because as much as I was like, I've got this great idea for a book. I've been, I've been thinking about it for years, wanting to approach it, then asking all the writers, everyone who said yes, you know, then we're starting to write. And I think almost everybody except for a few women were like, what the fuck am I going to write? <laughs> you know, they, I think there was a real sense of panic of like, oh, how do I describe it? You know, because I really asked them to go to try to go a layer deeper than just talking about terms we understand that don't have a real definitive meaning. For instance, an inner voice, a feeling yeah. in your gut, yeah. those types of things. I mean, we understand them, but then how do we trace the steps? You know, if you're going to make a decision about a job, if you're going to make a decision to end a marriage, if you're going to make a big life decision, a personal or professional decision, what are the steps that you take to get there? And to me, I really wanted them to go through that process and talk about the way your brain goes back and forth because fight or flight, and you might be terrified of what that answer might be. It might be something that might, you know, uproot your entire livelihood and, and the stability of a family and the stability of a life. These are not easy questions to answer for yourself. And sometimes the answer that you arrive at is really difficult. Yeah. Um, so yeah. to me, I wanted to be able to have them. And that was part of our beautiful reciprocity as editor and writer is I would sort of go through with them and, and ask them to like, can you expand further here when you're talking about this feeling? And can you talk about what you did with the feeling, where it went, what it led to? Maybe it wasn't the right thing that it led to. Maybe it was. But really sort of saying, like, how do we go through practically so that, you know, my great hope is that this book will help younger generations of women, you know, teenage girls, 
women in their 20s so that they don't have to go through what a lot of us went through with years and years and years of second guessing ourselves. Yeah. So that is my, that is my great hope for this book. And I wanted to show that like, Hey, these powerful women, these women that you love, that you, that you idolize, that you think are like the most incredible women because they are doctors, healers, actors, writers, politicians. They have also second guessed themselves their whole lives. They have also had to go through a process to get here. And so hopefully through their essays and the pieces that I add to it, you will feel a little less alone in your own process to try to harness your intuition. Yeah. You and America Ferreira have this amazing exchange in this book. And you and America have worked together, obviously, in films, but also you just have this really incredible friendship and this bond, right? And so you talk, just as you said, like this is just us sitting at a table having a conversation and you you write it all down for the reader. And one of the things you and America talk about is flexing your intuitive muscle and how you've both really worked through that as not only as child actors coming up, you know, in the industry, but now as leaders and activists and writers, how do women learn or practice flexing their intuitive muscle? It is so hard. Mm. It is not easy, but I think if we see it like a valley of peaks that we go over and each one gets smaller and smaller. So maybe the first couple are really steep and they're really hard to get over. And then you come down on the other side and then the next one is smaller and smaller and smaller. And so that it doesn't become so difficult after a while. But I think when we're talking about flexing an intuitive muscle, it is that thing. And for for women, and they talk about it in the book, sometimes it's like a tingling in the ear. Sometimes it's, it's like you get cold all over Sometimes you just go inward. Uh, Sometimes it does really manifest literally and physically in the gut. Mm -hmm. But when you sense something isn't right, you know, there is a fear that kicks in automatically. I mean, they're immediately your your mind. It is its job to tell you, don't do that. Mm. That's going to rock the whole boat. That's going to, that's going to, you're going to be, you know, your boss is going to fire you or, you're, you know, not going to be taken seriously, or, you know, this is going to disrupt your entire life, your career, any of those different things. It's your brain's job to jump in and say, here are all the consequences Mm -hmm. of listening to this intuitive voice that's speaking to you, that's telling you something. And it may not, you know, it's not like the rational mind too. That's why it's so complicated because there, it, you have the rational and the subconscious and the conscious mind has a voice. Both you and I have it. Everyone has it. We're walking down the street. You hear yourself talking. You, you know, you're telling yourself something. That voice is so strong that it sometimes outweighs what the body is telling you. And if you can connect those two things, it is. It will open up a whole door. It will open up a whole world of possibility for what answers can look like in your life. And so part of, I think, flexing the muscle is asking yourself a question that might be difficult. Again, pick a topic. And in the end, there's an essay that goes through a bunch of different things, a bunch of different examples, and then sit with it for a minute. See what your mind tells you, see what your body tells you. It might tell you something that is disruptive, that is scary that makes you want to run and go, no, no, we're not doing that right now. We're just, we're not doing that. Life's too hard. Things are too hard. So it's not necessarily about going with that answer, 
but it's about holding on to that and respecting its truth as something in the future you might want to use. Or as America talks about in that essay, actually doing it, doing mm-hmm. the thing that terrifies you. As she talks so beautifully about, you know, nothing in her life from her personal growth to her professional success, nothing has come to her without trembling, shaking, terrifying fear first of doing it, of Mm -hmm. asking to produce something, of asking to be the first Latina director on a set of her show, of asking to do, you know, all of these different things of just, as she talks about, literally crying in a trailer, shaking and crying, thinking, I can't do this. I can't do this. And then going through and figuring out, well, why not? What are you afraid of? So that muscle is so powerful. And the more you flex it, the more it becomes as powerful as the mind Mm -hmm. and the voice in our rational thought. And those two things combined are a force that the world is not ready for in women. Yeah. Yeah. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, grownups. The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery. Perfect for the whole family. Join the cat in the hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishful podcast studio from the cat in the hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic Tongue Twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. You talk about, too, it's, it's really this haunting chapter you write about Brittany Murphy and how you both came up together and how, you, you know, your memories of the last time you saw her and heard her speak, and she whispered something to you in passing as you were both at an audition. It's called Crossing Paths with Ghosts. Can you talk about what that experience meant for you? Sort of your, you saw Brittany sort of as a foil or, or the direction that you, you're very easily, your life could have unfolded or gone in that direction. Can you talk a little bit about sort of your reckoning with that and your writing about it? Of course. So 
Several years ago, I had a book come out called Dark Sparkler, which explored the lives and deaths of young and child star actresses. So women, I kind of looked at women below the age of 40. It became an absolute obsession. It it became investigative journalism. It became something that took me seven years to write. It's also something I think that sort of transformed me as a writer and put me on the map in a lot of different ways. And one of the poems in there is called Brittany Murphy, and it was for Brittany. And it was so interesting to me because writing this essay, which is also about creative process and about how do you get, how do you find the thing you're trying to say? And especially as a writer, as an artist, how do you find it? And how do you let yourself go through the fear of writer's block? And it's not coming to me, or I've written a few words and it's terrible. And how do you push past that? And for me, so much of that, trying to write that poem and many of the poems that were in that book was about, you know, letting myself go through the process I needed to go through, which didn't look like anyone else's process. You know, we can all read, as I mentioned in the book, you know, Stephen King's on writing, or you can read books about how to be a writer. But the truth is, is that the best thing you can do for yourself as a writer and as an artist is find your own unique intuitive process. Mm-hmm. And what we what I'm talking about when I when I say that is like it might look for instance like for me it might look like procrastination. Walking around, cleaning my whole house 15 times, answering a million emails, going to see a movie, ignoring it, coming back, writing a few things. Maybe there's a, a line or a sentence that pops through that that feels like it's worth exploring, opening up sitting with it and letting and telling my body that it's okay and telling my brain that it's okay, that it's not going to just come tumbling out like some magical spell because that's not how it works for everybody. You know, it's so funny. My my late mentor who the book is dedicated to, Jack Hirschman, mm-hmm. used to say, you have to, to be a good writer, you have to write every day. And I don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. And that's when I knew I became a writer is when I separated from him and his way of writing. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was about absorbing the outside world and letting myself go through the process I needed to go through in order to make that happen. So the essay is an examination of Brittany and looking at my life in the early aughts, in the early 2000s, when there was like a lot of these teen actresses and you know, we were all in this in the early stages of social media. It was actually slightly pre-social media mm-hmm. um, at a time when paparazzi felt like very dangerous, like mm-hmm. literally dangerous. They were mm-hmm. chasing people down. People were getting killed. Like it felt, it felt dangerous in the world. 90s, early aughts, th- that sort of era. And sort of what it meant to look at someone like Brittany Murphy who wanted to come to Hollywood to act so badly and succeeded in that, but then in the process kind of lost herself. Mm-hmm. So the essay is about finding myself mm-hmm. in honor of her ghost and yeah. sort of keeping her ghost close to me as like this thing that's inside that is there as a voice of a reminder that life and death are important parts of our existential process. Meaning like death is a good thing, not the literal death, but going through it, changing, going through hard questions, answering them, and then following through, you know, starting over, renewal. All of these things are so important to our processes. And that's sort of what that essay is about. Absolutely. What was it like switching hats between your writer side and your editor side? Like, what was it like editing 
Amy Poehler or your mom, <laughs> you know, how was that? Did you have to sort of take them on different days and take them, you know, in different, in different mental and emotional places for yourself? Oh yeah. I mean, I had to have a huge spreadsheet for everybody to make sure, you know, how many passes had gone through. Working with Amy was super fun. She's also just a really funny, good writer. Her piece is about, you know, being assaulted on a street at this experience, which is like partial assaults. Like it didn't go all the way that it was supposed to, but sort of how it affected the rest of her life. It's in typical polar fashion. It's extremely funny. It's beautiful. It's mm. heartwarming. It, it's devastating. It's all of the things that she is capable of. And I really loved her essay. My mom and I had such a funny experience editing our piece, of course, because there's so much history there. And, you know, I think I'm always right. And my mom thinks she's always right. And that I should listen to her because she's my mom. And, you know, my mom is a extraordinary woman. She's been a teacher for decades. She teaches counsel and life skills in California, which is like a process where you get kids in schools to sit in circle, pass a talking piece as an exercise in listening and communication for, especially for middle schoolers and high schoolers, which is like a very difficult transitional time. And I think for a lot of the essayists, a lot of the contributors, Part of it, part of the the work of the essay experience of writing it was trying to make sure that what they were saying, what they understood to be true was then, you know, something that was translatable to the reader. So meaning oftentimes my mom would give statements that were, that totally make sense to her because she's been in this world forever and she has mm -hmm. such a deep connection with her intuition. But I would have to say sort of like, Okay, but imagine you're imagine you are somebody who, you know, works in accounting at some company somewhere who's a woman who's never ever thought, doesn't even know what intuition means, doesn't even know what that word is. How would you explain that to her? Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of that. It was just sort of like opening it up a little further instead of giving terms that are understood to the author, trying to find a way to describe intuition in a really universal way. Yeah. How would you answer that question for us right now to someone who may not have that sort of quick answer? How would you define intuition for the accountant who doesn't know what it is? <laughs> I mean, it could be anybody. I know plenty of people too that don't have deep connections, but are trying. Yeah. So what, what would my definition of intuition be? Yeah. A different kind of intelligence is what I would probably call it because I want to keep connecting it with the idea that it's not out here somewhere. It's not what, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years of the patriarchal world, which has controlled everything from medicine to the advent of mental health, to women hearing voices, you know, hundreds of years ago during the Salem witch trials and beyond that, you know, the idea of hearing voices, of being called to understand something, it's not out here. It's inside you. It is a deep understanding and it is real. It is a real manifestation, a real intelligence that is to be used. Yeah. Not just something to listen to, not just something to have there to think about. It is to be used as much as we rely on knowledge and other forms of intelligence. And so to me, I think that intuition is something I want reframed in this world in which women's autonomy, bodily or otherwise, is 
being taken away from us in so many different regards. I want us to be reconnected with that deep understanding and that deep intelligence and to know that it is real and it is practical and it is something that can be used every single day of our lives and will change us if we flex the muscle. If we flex the muscle, absolutely. And speaking of flexing the muscle, what advice or wisdom would you share to aspiring writers or first-time writers or lifelong writers who are working on, on their own books? What advice would you give? What would you share? Let the muse rest. That's, that's what I would say. I think that there's so much emphasis on to be a writer, you must write all the time. And I think that is definitely true for a lot of people. That is how they come to their process. But I think find your unique process. It is the only thing you can do. Find the way in which you uniquely arrive to the page and what you uniquely have to say and how you uniquely say it. That is what sets you apart from everyone else. And sometimes that is reframing our mind around this idea of, again, writer's block or something or not being able to do it. And my other mentor, the late Wanda Coleman, who's a brilliant poet, would say, you've got to let the muse rest. She's in there. You know, she's resting. She'll awaken. If you keep your mind on it, if you keep your gut on it, if you keep thinking about it and letting it sort of marinate in your head and in your body, let it grow there and let it trickle out a little bit at a time when she gets up, when she goes to sleep, all of those things. But I think that is some of the advice that I would give and to make sure that you are really giving the space for your most authentic self as an artist and a writer to arrive. And that aligns so perfectly with listening in the dark and following your intuition, following your deep inner wisdom, women reclaiming the power of intuition. Amber Tamblin, how can readers connect with you and find out all the latest and greatest as you and this book are making your way through the world? I'm on Instagram at Amber Rose Tamblin. I also have a website, amtam.com. That's my mom's nickname for me. Um, I'm on Twitter at Amber Tamblin, posting lots of really great things there, including behind the scenes of our tour, interviews with authors, ridiculous reels. Why not? <laughs> so it's a lot. I've been having like so much fun promoting this book because it feels like something that is expansive and regenerative in a way that I think all of the numbness uh, that we have felt and it has been so difficult, especially with the pandemic and everything else. And I just want to resensitize women to this really important part of our intuitive process. Amber Tamblin, Listening in the Dark, Women Reclaiming the Power of Intuition. Thank you so much for writing this book and thank you so much for speaking with us today. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 